everybody. It's Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lennenberg. Uh, this show is uh, one of those shows where I have a long commute home from my advertising job, and I love talking baseball with my good friend Eric, so I thought, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, actually record these uh, these phone calls that we have and put some guests on and have some timely topics, and that's what we're doing today with another episode uh, about the uh, recent baseball draft, and uh, we have a great guest on today. I'll uh, tell you about him in a minute, but Eric, hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Campy. How about yourself? Doing fine. Love the velvety voice of Eric Lindenberg right there. You guys heard it. So uh, <laughs> we are uh, we are looking forward to this. Eric, by the way, and I uh, both played uh, played ball. So you know we have sort of like and, and then we stayed into baseball. And Eric, you know, was in on the on the broadcasting side, on the uh, media side, and uh, I I kind of uh, did a bunch of deals and have done some things with uh, you know baseball teams, college teams on the marketing side, and plus being players and playing at the highest levels, you know, we kind of feel like we have this insider knowledge and information, and, and today is one of those days where we were lucky. I have a, a really good old friend, and uh, we were teammates. He was traded over to us uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I can't remember who we traded away, but uh, we got Merchant. They sent him to San Bernardino, where I, I was in my very first year as a pro, pro catcher, uh, Merchant and I became uh, fast buddies and were roommates, and uh, we had a lot of fun together as teammates, but we also would spend a lot of time talking about sort of like the art of hitting. Um, and he was a switch hitter with power, but what makes Mark Merchant really sort of stand out for this particular show, which is uh, a show that we're going to be talking about the amateur baseball draft. Uh, and this, this show was uh, recorded just a, a few days after the draft had ended. Um, and we thought it would be great to get Mark's perspective because, Eric, why is is Mark Merchant interesting to talk to about the draft? Because he was the number two pick behind Ken Griffey Jr. And everyone's heard of Ken Griffey Jr. 1987. That's right. And unfortunately, Mark's career went a different way. And that happens with some guys that are top picks. It happens more often well, than people realize. That's right, and I, I think that that's something that, you know, we saw all these really happy kids, you know, getting that phone call or being right there in New York and getting their name called and, you know, putting the jersey on and all the photos with the jersey on and everybody smiles and handshakes, but we'll see what happens three years from now when, you know, uh, an elbow gets blown out or uh, a knee gets mangled or you know, uh, uh, various things can happen to, to players that through their career. E- even nothing happens to them physically. They just they just can't perform, you know. Uh, so in the case of Mark Merch, and we'll talk to Merch, uh, you know, he came out, uh, and then this is one of the stories that, that, that Mark was telling me when we were players, and we'll, we'll have him talk about it a little bit more, but, like, the Mariners right down to the last minute kept saying that they were going to take him first, and it was almost basically like a coin toss and they decided to go with Griffey and uh, uh, obviously Griffey's in the hall of fame. And, and by the time Griffey, by the time Merchant was on my team in a ball, Griffey was debuting his, in, in the major leagues in 1989. Like that's how quickly the 17 year old Griffey got to the big leagues and stayed in the big leagues uh, until he, you know, voluntarily retired, you know, well into his thirties. Um, yeah. and I will tell you, you know, my, my story, um, you know, I was uh, in line to be drafted out of high school, and my grandpa, who was the GM with the Dodgers at the time, he, he got calls from all kinds of 
uh, scouts and, and, you know, uh, minor league directors asking what it would take to sign me. And um, he flat out told every one of them, don't waste a draft pick because he's not going to sign. And, and if he does, I'm disowning him. And that that's actually the word that my grandpa said. He's going <laughs> to disown me if I sign the play for Fed because he was so adamant about the, the fact that he he was a rarity in baseball for his generation being a college graduate, you know. So uh, so that that's what that's one of the things that you know now these players are facing the same exact dilemma, but the money is so much greater. My gosh, you know my my draft pick I was picked. You know Mark Mark was number number two, okay, and right. uh, and I was picked number seven number seventy one. And back then that was third round. Now it's second round. You know after the compensation picks and all that, but right. the number two pick is getting close to nine hundred thousand dollars. But for for the for the same amount that I was, you know, my my slot was effectively around, you know, between fifty and seventy five, depending on if you were a college or a pro guy. And, and um, I mean, that's that was great money for then, you know. Sure, but I couldn't buy a house with it. I mean, I could buy a nice, you know, beat up car, but I couldn't buy a house. I mean, nine hundred grand, my God, you could buy a house, in, you know, Newport Beach, pretty much. So that that's a, a huge um, factor in you know, what, what makes guys decide to go to college or, or sign and, you know, merch, we'll talk with him, but he, you know, he had every scholarship offer, every single major school in the Southeast offered him a full ride and um, they, they knew his greatness and he ended up signing. So we'll talk to him a little bit about, you know, about that, but um, going back to my story about, you know, I, I did not get drafted out of high school, but I got offered um, third round money. So I got offered 50,000 um, to sign with the twins. And they wanted to immediately convert me to catcher out of high school. They wanted to immediately turn me into a catcher. Uh, my 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 dad and grandpa, who obviously were very close to me, and and I respected the, their their uh, opinions on everything baseball. Um, both felt like I needed to 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 develop, and of course, I saw the dollar signs and you know how many uh, you know how, how much fun I could have with that money and and all of that and. And uh, and I'm glad I made the choice to to, to go to USC and, um, and and it was there where I went from, you know, who knows what draft I would have gone in out of high school, but I ended up being a third round pick, like I was telling you. And and then that, then a whole new set of things hit me. All of a sudden, expectations were very high. You know, I mean, yes, you know, no one expected me to go out and become all American as a junior at USC, but I did. Now it's like, well, what are you going to do next? You know. Right. Uh, and so, so that that's where you know the pro baseball side, you know, it it becomes a much different animal. You know, in high school, you play two two games a week, three games a week. College, maybe four or five. You know, in pro ball, you're playing every day, and the days you're not playing, you're on a long ass bus ride or or flight somewhere in different time zones. Nothing, nothing like high school. Um, you're getting. Listen, this is this is what makes me laugh. It was about three weeks into the pro season, and the pro guys had as many at bats as the high school kids that I trained have had had all season. Like like maybe sixty at bats, seventy at bats yeah. the whole season in high school. A pro guy has in three weeks. That a guy who's playing all every day and and batting high in the lineup. You know, right. how how did you feel, Eric, when you went from high school to to college? Did did you feel like any uh, additional, not just pressure, but, you know, the intensity that you, you deal with um, playing so often. Ten times greater, ten times greater intensity. And 
focus had to be a lot more tuned in on the game. You couldn't have the outside distractions you have. When you're a teenager and you're in high school, you have all kinds of distractions, but you can still perform on the field. But you make that next jump in the college camp, as you know, everybody on your team is fighting to try and become a professional, and everyone's working hard, and it just is a different game altogether. Yeah, and and I think, too, you know, I was fortunate. We had a really good group, uh, but we were in Los Angeles, you know, and in number two media market. I remember we went to Arizona, you know, to play, Arizona State to play, and you turn on the, the, the evening news, and there are highlights on, like, NBC or on ABC, like like you guys got TV time. Uh, did 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 that lead to a little bit of extra like recognition, like walking through the mall or anything like that? Not really. No, no. no. You would think okay. it did, but it didn't. Unfortunately. Yeah, we we <laughs> we would we, we could be wearing our USC uniforms and nobody cared, you know. Yeah. So um, I mean, we're in the town of the Dodgers and the Angels and you know, Holly Hollywood and and all that, and it, it just it did not it did not make an impact. Sure, it did on campus. I mean, people, you know, the people, our peers, thought it was cool and all that. But um, now, what, what about your, um, the, like, the competition? The, like, did, did you feel that it was like an ab- adversarial uh, competition between the guys in your team, or was it more like a, like, everyone accepts their role and they're going to do their no, best? No, I did. I did very much feel. I've told friends about this over the years. Very much feel like it was adversarial. Uh, Again, you think about playing in high school. You're playing with all your friends, and you guys, some of you have grown up together, and uh, you're trying to win the championship, and there's no competition amongst you. You get to college, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, if you get hurt, well, everybody feels bad, but, hey, it's one less guy to compete with. I mean, it's a different different game. Did you have that at USC? Well, we did, um, but I think, you know, like in my case, uh, you know, they they kept moving me around because I could hit a little bit, so yeah. I was playing many multiple positions, and and the idea was they wanted to figure out how to get me in the lineup, so I ended up playing like first base uh, a lot in, in my sophomore year and, and caught a little bit that year, um, but but it was more like I think people accepted that you know I could hit you know pretty well and the team needed the bat, um, but it's funny because Jim Henderson, a guy that you and I know, a, a fellow, uh, a guy who transferred from SC and went to um, Arizona State, you know, with a starting right. catcher there. Uh, later later on in life, we became uh, re- reacquainted and became good friends, and he's an attorney now. And uh, and he flat out told me, hey, man, I wrote, he wrote the forward of my book and, and, and said it there, that he wanted to hate me more than anybody on the earth because I was a starting catcher, and that's where he wanted to be. And uh, and he had a trouble, he had trouble hating me. <laughs> and that was yeah. cool that I, I, I learned that because I tried to, you know, I tried to like everybody and, and be a good teammate. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, you know, this guy is a highly competitive person and he wanted to play. So, uh, you know, you get into a situation where, you know, even though we're, we're trying to be friends, uh, we still have to battle against each other. Uh, that's actually one of the reasons where, and again, I wrote in my book about my, my good friend, the legendary Dave Lats Ladder. Um, Lats, and Lats is a pitcher. So we never had sort of a feeling of competition in baseball. Now we competed against everything else, girls and and you know who who was gonna you know uh, steal the last beer and stuff like that. But we yeah. didn't compete. You know we didn't compete on the field, and I think that made for us uh, to be a, you know much better um, roommates and, and friends, lifelong friends before his passing, unfortunately, a few years back. But but that right. uh, yeah, I, I talked I talked to my old uh, USC teammates. 
Um, and it, and we've all got past that, and we all look back at those years with a lot of, you know, nostalgia, and you remember that time, and, and you know, you remember when you did that with the Gillespie. Gillespie was our coach. By the way, Coach Gillespie will be on our show next week, next uh, week when we talk right. about the co- – yeah, we talk about the College World Series, and um, that'll be a lot of fun to hear, you know, Coach Gillespie's take on recruiting. He's going to talk about, you know, some of the differences uh, in recruiting. And, by the way, a little tidbit on that, um, the Oregon coach, uh, Coach Horton, he did not renew his contract. It was a mutual uh, thing with the university. He did not uh, take his option. And um, Darren Erstadt, the former Angel, did the same thing at Nebraska and USC decided not to resign the USC coach, uh, Dan hubs who came into USC like right after me. And so I missed him as a player, uh, but, but got to know him afterwards. Wow. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting the take on, on for Gillespie and Gillespie just retired last year. So of course I'm going to tease him with, uh, when he's going to you know, become coach again and name me batting coach. So we'll have fun <laughs> with that. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, so tune in uh, for our next show after this one, which will be uh, Coach Gillespie and uh, a former UCI coach, former uh, USC coach, uh, former national champion uh, for uh, at USC and uh, UCI, and he also was uh, the California um, JC champion when he was coaching at College of the Canyon. So uh, very, uh, and and he's in the uh, coaches Hall of Fame, by the way, uh, the College Coaches Hall of Fame. So we're really lucky to have uh, these next two guests, uh, Mark Merchant again today. He's coming on in about 10 minutes talking about the draft. But um, did you get a chance? I, I saw the, the draft live. Um, I was actually driving home from work, and, and I was listening to it live, trying to look at it in between stoplights and, and such. But um, I was uh, I was a little surprised. There were some guys that were, were, were like high school guys that were touted super high including a guy from Mark Merchant's hometown, Oviedo, Florida. Mark uh, probably has a street named after him there uh, for all, everything he did for that town. And he still lives nearby in, in Orlando, Florida. That's sort of in the Orlando area. Uh, but this kid that, that Merch was, um, you know, consoling and, and talking with, um, you know, giving him a little bit of advice and being like a mentor, I didn't see yeah. him on the draft in the, in the top several rounds. So what, what I see happening um, – is and this happened by the way it happens both ways so my guess is he said when they asked this player or this player's representatives uh what he wanted to sign he may have given them a number that was out of out of league for his um slot and yeah. so then they decide well, well we'll draft him in the in the maybe the 20th round with a wasted draft pick and see if and then try to give him you know um about half of what he wanted and so this happened at Modern Day, the famous school in Orange County where um, a kid was drafted in the ninth round instead of the second round where he was predicted. But they gave him second-round money because of the money they saved when they signed their number one guy. And all this is craziness, man. Like, like this, this was never how it was. By the way, the way it used to be was they claimed they were all broke. Every team says they don't have money to sign you, you know. Right. And then you then you look around and you're like, like Ken Griffey signed for 120,000. This is true. And Merchant signed for more, getting that as number 2 pick. But the the pick that's that so they slot the picks now from 1-1, one, one, the first guy in the first round, right? To the last yeah. guy in the in like the 35th round, okay? I can't remember, maybe it's a little bit sooner than that, but it's it's pick number 
315 is the last pick, okay? Yeah. Pick number 300, yeah, pick number 315 um, gets something like, and I can't remember the exact number, but it's in the high 100,000. So, in other words, oh my God. The, 300, the 315th pick in 2019 got more than Ken Griffey and Mark Merchant uh, did in, in, you know, in 1989. So the, 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 the bonus thing, you know, guys are getting a hundred grand in the sixties before the draft because, you know, they were all bidding against uh, each right. other to get these great players. You know, uh, there's a guy named Rick, uh, uh Reichardt, who's a Facebook. Rick Riker, yeah. My you, dad. you and I both know. Yeah. It. yeah. Yep. And, and, uh, and my dad played with him and against him and he was, like a bonus baby, and I I want to say he signed for um a hundred thousand or something like that. Like, and if you do the math on that, like now that's something like you know several million dollars. You know, in, in those in that you know in those days, uh, my yeah, dad was uh, Rick, was signed. Uh, you go ahead. Go ahead. So I just say, and my dad was, signed. Uh, go ahead, Kevin. Okay, right. no, you tell me the Rick Ryder record thing we're talking about there right now. Yeah, just Rick. Uh, is referred to as the last bonus baby because it was after he got his right. big money, which you're right, it was huge at that time. Then they instituted the amateur draft, and uh, another Rick, Rick Monday, got drafted number one the next year and yep. did not get nearly the kind of bonus that Rick Riker got. So they achieved what they wanted to with the draft, I think, bringing the money down and making it less of a bidding war for these guys. Yeah. Rick and Monday went to Arizona just- State, as a matter of fact. Exactly, exactly. And uh, my dad was in – he got drafted – or not drafted, but signed in 61. And, again, a bidding war happened, and um, he signed for 25000 which was – I did a, I did a Google search, and it, it, it equates to 275000 in today's money, uh, for twenty-five grand. So, and, But think about, you know, he went and bought a Corvette, okay, and it was a $3,000 Corvette, you know. <laughs> so, like, 61 Corvette, brand new, brand spanking new, probably worth a million dollars now, but uh, 3,000 bucks, you know, a house was worth eight, 8,000 for a house back then, you know, so, so you, you think about, you know, the, 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 the difference and, and um, one of the things too, that, that Merchant and I experienced was um, the, the, the first guy to get a million dollars in the draft was uh, Eric Van Poppel or Todd Van Poppel, Todd Van Poppel. Oh yeah, I remember him. And how long did he last? Well, that's the thing is when I faced him, all I thought about is I'm going to crush you, you know, bonus boy, you know, and, um, and I, and I had met him and, and I had, you know, I had already realized like, okay, I don't want to like you because I'm going to compete against you. I want to beat your ass. And, um, and, and I, I competed as, as hard as, as I faced anybody in my life was against him. And it was pure animosity for him getting like literally like more 10 plus times more than I got. And so I'm going to prove to everybody that, you know, I can hit this, this millionaire kid. Uh, he got me out a couple of times, but I also got the best of him uh, many times. Uh, and Mark Merchant and I would, would actually talk about that. You know, this guy got drafted maybe three or four years after we did um, out of high school. Out of high and, school uh, and Texas, throw, right. Yeah. And, and he could throw, you know, they say he could throw a hundred and, you know, I, I, when I faced him, it, it didn't seem much more than everybody else, but, uh, you know, he had the body, you know, he had the, uh, the, he played against the strong schools in Texas and, um, and, and, uh, you know, I think that, that got everyone thinking, well, you know, this guy's worth, I think he had a really big agent, maybe Boris or one of those guys too. Right. So, uh, all of that, you know, but, but he, he never turned into anything. He never sort of 
panned out. He got to the big leagues almost because I think they had to because he, you know, he had a, a couple of decent years and you you invest in a guy of that that deeply, you know, you're going to you're eventually going to you know, basically be forced to give him a shot in the big leagues uh right. after all of that, but but uh you know, he never really amounted to much and um I think he ended up getting hurting his arm and and his career ended when he was in his, you know, maybe mid to late uh, 20s. Yeah, but, I don't uh, think he won you know, 20 games in the major leagues total. No, no, all yeah, and and um, you know, and then you then there was like this this long period where you know every now and then they get a some somebody would get a pretty good you know bonus who was a first or or you know second pick, and um and then the rest of us we just sort of, you know, the rest of the players just sort of got like bus like the lower guys got bus tickets like like I had guys on my team and I said well, what round are you going? Oh, the thirty fifth. Oh, okay. Well, congrats, you're still here. Oh well, yeah. And he's like, uh, like, so did you? Uh, what, what, what kind of bonus did they give you? And they start laughing, like, like literally. One guy's like, I got like five hundred dollar check and and a bus ticket to, to go to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. You know, and and that's the Mariners though. They couldn't even they couldn't even fly the guy from California. They put him on a friggin' bus. But um, <laughs> you know, glamorous life that, of professional that, that, baseball. That's exactly right. And you know, I think people forget the you other. Know, if you watch the draft. It looks like it's being, yeah. you know, it's being done in a in a Nordstroms. It's it's just most it's beautiful and and well lit and everybody's dressed to the tees and you know it's just but you know <laughs> the, the next thing this kid's gonna do is go into go into some clubhouse somewhere and um and, and have to deal with the, being a minor leaguer. Wait a minute, I think I just heard the Me- Merchant of Menace. Is this yeah, is this the legendary Mark Merchant? Is that Campy? <laughs> this is Campy. How you doing, man? Good, man. What's going on? We are on right now. Well, we have. Uh, I, I use. Uh, I use my uh, my work conference line to record these things. So uh, my my co-host is uh, Eric Lindenberg. Eric, this is uh, Mark Merchant. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Hey, happy birthday, belated, oh, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Hey, listen, Campy. So, uh, I got I got bad cell service at my house, so I'm on a landline. Can you hear me? Oh, you sound great, man. You sound great. All right. So uh, we're, we were talking a little bit before you came on about the draft and about, you know, um, you know your position in the draft. And, and I talked about how I was, you know, uh, looked at in the draft twice, um, out, both out of high school and then out of USC. Um, all the stuff that went into it, you know, in our, in our day. And, uh, you know, they didn't have the televised draft like they do, like they do now. Did you get a chance to see the draft at I all? Did. I, I watched the first round, yes. What was now that we talked about this too, where, um, and we'll get into your story here in a minute, but I'm curious if since you watched it, I know there was a guy that was on the radar from your old hometown, Oviedo, Florida. Um, and I did not see him go on the first day. What was he one of those guys that maybe asked too much? No, no, no. It was, uh, it was Riley Green. He was drafted number five overall with the Tigers. And actually, I just saw that he just signed, actually. Ah, okay. So he signed, sealed, and delivered and ready for the Wolves. Uh, but there was another kid right down the street that was the 13th overall projection by Major League Baseball, and he didn't go till the third round because of signability issues. And Got so, it. And you, where, is he committed somewhere? Florida. Yeah, both him and Riley Green, actually, the guy that was the fifth overall, were committed to Florida. So okay. Florida won't be getting Riley Green. 
Where were you going to go? Campy, in all honesty, I just wanted to play professional baseball. You know, since I was four, I took a couple recruiting trips. I took one with Shane Latero to Georgia. and But I think basically all the colleges knew I wanted to sign. I remember meeting with Boris and Boris telling me, you know, all what what you're getting into. You know, he came to me two months before the draft and basically telling me, because I think he, he was a Southern California guy, like just like you, and he was friends with, what was it, Rod Dudo, your coach? Rod Dado, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for the pronunciation. He said, I think you should go there. And he, everything he basically said came into fruition. Um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of people don't know about Scott Boris. He actually even played minor league baseball. And he brought right. in numbers and stuff. You know, this is what happens. This is what you get. I mean, you know, I wasn't signing for $6.4 million. I was signing for 165000 I knew that wasn't going to, you know, set me up for life. But he also told me I should go to college. And I see. Said, okay. And even back then he said – just you got to know who's in the farm system, what outfielders are there. You got to know, you, you definitely have to get a Lloyd's London policy because, you know, injuries are going to happen. And obviously, you know, both to me and you, Jim, that happened to us, right? And it right. basically hammered our career. Right. Right. And that's actually a great point. We were talking about that merch uh, a little bit earlier. By the way, everyone, we're talking with Mark Merchant. Uh, former uh, first-round pick by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1989. 87, uh, and that yep. year, I'm sorry, 87. <laughs> that's right. We played together in 89. That's that's what it yeah. is. So, but yeah, and I told I told everyone earlier about how you and I became teammates with a trade uh, in '89, and that and that we ended up being like roommates on the road, and uh, you know, and and uh, I told him about the pepper mill story where you lost all your money. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say that, but uh, <laughs> we. we <laughs> we had a we had a blast merch. I'm telling you, we had a blast. I I had a, I met you know hundreds of guys, thousands of guys as as, as players and teammates, and uh, you're in the you're in the top uh, definitely in the top uh, list of all the guys that that I love I love playing with and and it was really like your passion to play. Um, you were you were a grinder and a gamer. You know, even though you were a first round guy and and a lot of you know you and I both met guys that were were like like bonus baby you know uh and they kind of they kind of treated everybody like crap because of you know their status and you were never like that man you were really like down to earth and cool and and hung out with everybody and and um and, and you know when it came to game time you know you were diving into the walls and why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you know the way you like to play the way i like to play you know a lot of people even still say to me that you know i'm this laid back quiet guy but it any time I stepped in between those lines, it was, you know, everything was all out, you know. Um, I, I ran every ball out. Anything in center field, I don't care if it was, you know, hit, you know, near the wall, I would have run through a brick wall, you know. There's a scene in a natural where the guy, you know, is running and catches a fly ball and dies. Well, you know what, if there's one yeah. way to go, that's the way I want to. <laughs> I mean, it was just all... <laughs> I mean, Jim, that's the only way my father taught me how to play is all the way, and that's just the way I played. You know, a lot of the kids nowadays, yeah. you know, I'm coaching a Florida Collegiate Summer League with your buddy Shane Leterio, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's been fun, but it's a wood bat league for, you know, college kids that are 19 to 22. But, you know, the passion and energy 
you know, not not a lot of them have it like it was back in the day. Even though that yeah, they're bigger, I, I think even though they're bigger, faster, yeah. and stronger. Yeah, and I think that that's that that is a, a big difference. And you know, if you were to ask my dad's generation, one before us, they would say that we were a little lax, you know, compared yes. to them. Uh, and again, I, and I think if you go be the, my grandpa's generation before that, uh, you know, they would say the same thing about, you know, so I, 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 I wonder if it's that this, the, the progress, but you know, in baseball, man, you gotta be just like you said, you gotta be intense. Um, and, and oftentimes, um, you know, the level of your competitive drive and, and I look at you when you were a player and like you said, running through the wall, you know, these young guys pull up because they're thinking about, I, I'm not, I don't want to get hurt. And. And I got all this money on, at stake, and you know now they they don't throw up and in anymore because they don't want to hurt anybody and, and ruin careers. And you and I, man, I mean, we were rolling guys at second base. I was getting crushed at home plate. Uh, you know, in fact, I think you, you you slid into second on a ground ball that I hit in Double A, I think, and, and messed your ankle up, right? Yeah, I broke it. It basically was the last game I played center field. I don't know if you remember it, Jim, but um, how many ambulances you ever been seen on the field in baseball? Right. No. And, right. And and I was in the back of one that night. So it was, you know, I lost yeah. my speed, you know, and that was one of the big things. You know, you can't lose your speed in this game because it's just so fast at those levels that you know I wasn't able to compete. You know, I I, I couldn't make it as a first base DH. I mean, I I survived a little bit four or five years in the minor leagues, putting up some decent numbers. But I wasn't that kind of player. You know, I was a switch-hitting center fielder that played outstanding defense and at one time had a good arm and would give you everything you got. Right. I mean, I know you're going to bring up the Uh, Griffey stuff. And, no, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was, you know, a great Hall of Famer and stuff. I was the guy I picked behind you. I get slammed, you know, all the time. And I have to at least stick up to myself. What my peers that I played with means more to me what the papers do. Well, dude, and that's that's actually what I was going to say was you know I played with both of you guys, right? And um, and one of the things that I, I I mean you were you were actually hurt before you even came to the Mariners, right? Like you had you you had hurt your arm a little bit, I think, diving into a fence in spring, in major league spring training, right? Your first spring training yeah. with the Pirates, is that right? Yeah. I uh, basically, my rotator cuff was trash right-handed, and then my first full season in Augusta, I uh, had a separated shoulder diving for a baseball. So, yeah, I came with damaged goods to the Mariners, bud. <laughs> you, did, you did awesome, though. And, yeah. and, and again, it was uh, it was so much fun to play, play on the same team with you. I think we got to play for a couple years together. Um one of the things I was wondering is, and this is this is just you know a couple of old players talking, but um, you know I, I've read I've you know over the years, man, I've struggled, really struggled with, especially after I quit playing, I really struggle with my identity. Like like I'm not not a baseball player, you know what I mean? Like I am a freaking baseball player. Yeah, I don't care what these and and that and but I couldn't get a job in baseball. You know, I couldn't get a job coaching after I was done playing. I couldn't get a job playing. Uh, for making any more than a, than a thousand a month in some foreign country, and 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 did, you know, putting my family at, at financial risk, and so I sort of felt like I was forced to quit playing. Um, how how did you feel when it sort of came to the end, and and did it did you go through a bitter period like I did? Like mine was maybe ten years, man, where 
like I was struggling watching baseball because I'd see some guy on there that you and I were way better than, and there he is living his dream, and I'm watching him drinking a beer, wishing I was in it, and I just I hated my the, the feeling that I had inside uh, yeah, of, of being like what I would a failure. I failed at this, you know. I, 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 I now I feel like I'm coming to grips with it, but I'm, I'm freaking fifty now, you know. Yeah. I, I actually can't be, it was the same way for me, you know, I got released, you know, I think, you know, I did a couple stints in the independent leagues too, just trying to hang on, but I got released by the Royals in spring training in 98, and you know, the farm director, they'll give you that spiel, you know, you've been around so long, you know, maybe we'll consider for a position, but I, I didn't, I would, I didn't want to do the, you know, the bus rides and all that stuff, and I knew, I didn't have any time, so any big league time that is. And I, I just knew it just seemed like the only coaches that got respect in the minor leagues were guys that had time. So that went way off my radar. But just like you, I, I, I still don't watch uh, a big league baseball game. Um, my kid has it on all the time, so I'll peek and see stuff. But, you know, Leterio was saying the same thing. Leterio said he hasn't watched a game in 15 years. He said that actually even at night. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tough thing, you know, when it comes to end and – you know, you, you were prospects that thought you were going to get the shot and don't make it. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and we were actually talking about that earlier when Eric and I were, you know, guys that, that are were being drafted, you know, this week. And you see the big smile on their face, and they're they all saying their dream has come true. And, and you know, Eric Eric played at Arizona State, and, and he, you know, he played at a high level of baseball and, and very competitive. Uh, Eric, I know you had some questions for for Merch as well. Yeah, I guess um, more about the draft this week and, and the guys that are being picked. When you see high school players getting drafted in the first round, and they can be incredibly talented, I know some of them are. But do you really think they're ready to compete professionally, Mark? Coming out of high <clears throat> that depends on their makeup and stuff. I mean, you can just still look at the makeup or what happens. I mean. I think 1% of high school kids that actually even get drafted make it the big leagues. It's a much higher um, rating when you are signing out at collegiate. But it, it's a right. tough deal, you know. It's just like this Riley Green that just signed, you know. You got it. Hopefully, you know, you got – but you don't have any leverage left now. You're being fed to the wolves. It's, you know, it's not high school baseball, you know, where you're getting a team meeting and go rah-rah team. You know, it's just a right. whole different ball game. So, yeah, I mean, just like Boris told me, I mean, Scott Boris brought everything to fruition with me. And, you know, he told me basically what was going to happen. I basically didn't listen to him. He told me, you know, go to college. You know, where would you rather go, spend your days in low A ball or spend, you know, the next three years where Campy went, like at USC? So, I mean, Especially the later rounds, these high school kids, you can't even think about signing, I don't think, in my opinion. you got to go get the education. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, did you You were at Arizona State. Were you there when Barry was there? No, that was he was about 10 years after me. Yeah. Yeah, I got a few years on you guys. I saw him play there, though. Pretty good, but dude. It's, uh, a lot of guys... Don't real high school players. We were talking about this earlier, Campy and I. You play two or three games a week, okay? And you practice the other day. You got Sundays off. Saturdays you just take batting practice. Go from that, jump. Don't go to college. Jump right into the pros. 
and you're working seven days a week and working hard just to stick where you are. I don't yep. think a lot of guys are mentally prepared for it. No, maybe physically, but not mentally. Yeah, you great, brought up a great point there. They don't. You know, you play, what, a couple games in high school. I was fortunate because I grew up in Florida. So when I went down to the Gulf Coast League, I kind of knew what I was getting to. But a lot of the guys from other climates, they had no idea what they were getting to. And just like you said, when it's seven days, I'm even yeah. seeing this in this Florida Collegiate Summer League. They're playing every day but one day. And some of these kids, they're only playing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And, you know, after four or five days, you see, you know, they're not just used to this. And it's, yeah. it's the same thing going into pro baseball. It's just a different game. I mean, it's not it's, the, the difference between amateur baseball and professional baseball when you get it, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's a great, great difference, not just a small one. Yep. Tremendous difference. Yes, sir. And, and it, to me, it was always the consistency, you know. So, like, in high school, if you could go – and, you know, get on a hot streak, and, you know, and I was telling uh, Eric, too, like, I, I, I'm actually sitting in front of a batting cage right now. I'm going to have lessons after the show. Uh, and um, one of the kids, we had a bunch of rain here. It doesn't typically rain a lot, you know, in California, but we had a lot of rain this past year. And this kid had, like, maybe five games rained out. And at the end of the year, he had a total of 60 at bat. Now, think about that, Merch. Like, that's three weeks in, in, in pro ball, right? About three, three and a half weeks. You get 60 at bats, and now now this is going to be your report card, you know, for all the people to look on your, you know, nowadays, you know, you get you got your max preps, you know, profile and you, and your your perfect game profile, yeah. and every everyone goes to it and they look, oh, the guy has 60 at bats, you know. Uh, it's funny because most of the kids that I work with, the ones all three that I'm working with tonight, they're actually leaving this weekend to go and play in a league like the ones that you that you're coaching in. Um, and they're, they're, they're summer ball leagues. One guy's going to Puerto Rico. One guy's going to uh, Nebraska. Um, and the other guy's staying local. But um, I told, I've told all these guys, I go, look, you've never played this much baseball in your life. You are playing every day. And, and one of them's a catcher. And I told him, I go, dude, you, uh, you will be, your ass will be kicked the first week. And so, I mean, I know you catch bullpens in high school. I know you guys think you work out hard. And these guys, some of them, they, they even have personal trainers. It's not enough, man. There's, it's, it's like I don't know if you ever felt this, but I worked my ass off to get ready for spring training, and my, I was still dead after every day of spring training from what they put us through. You know, especially the catchers. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, it can't be. Even back in the day, it was just like the Alaskan and Cape, right? Because I'm sorry, I don't, I didn't have any experience with it. It seems like there's a lot more summer collegiate leagues. But was that your only picks when you were in the summer? Well, they, they had a bunch of leagues. My freshman year, um, I, I stayed home. Uh, I didn't play a lot my freshman year, which pissed me off a lot, by the way, because I, I thought I was going to play more, and I, I did well when I did play. So I had kind of a, a, a real need to want to get better and, and be a full-time player my sophomore year. Uh, but they couldn't place me anywhere because of my lack of at-bats, except for a, a league in um, uh, Southern California. But I was still young. I was I was a, a 18 year old year old, um, and so I played American Legion, and I played in the summer ball team. So I was playing. So one day I played three games in one day, uh, and by the way, that was a useless uh, effort because I actually struck out twice in the same inning on the third game because I was so toast. But uh, <laughs> I've never done that before <laughs> or since. But, but anyway, I mean, I just look at it like I couldn't even get mad at myself because I was too tired. But uh, 
I think that that, you know, back in the day, yeah, the, the best leagues uh, were um, actually with Alaska. Cape was just kind of another league that was back east. But, you know, on my team in Alaska, I had Eric Caros, um, Louis Gonzalez, uh, probably like five guys that were in the starting rotation in the big leagues on our, you know, who are pitchers. Uh, every single guy on our team signed at some point, and, um, and and most of them got to the big leagues, you know, even for a cup of coffee. Very highly competitive. And, um, and, and, and by the way, one of our, our friends, our mutual friends, Brian Terang, OBT, uh, he played against me in that league. Um, BT has a batting cage in Corona, California, not far from where I live. And I use his cage all the time um, for when I have lessons with kids that live over there. And, you know, his kid got drafted last year in the 21st pick out of high school. Uh, and, and Brian and I spent a lot of time with his wife, Carrie, talking about, you know, options for him. And they kept saying all the way till the day of the draft, he was going to go to LSU. His mom, you know, Carrie, the mom is as a school teacher and really felt, you know, Bryce needed an education and, and et cetera. But they gave him $3.5 million and, uh, you know, and, and a college education on top of that. Um, it, it's almost like, you know, the money's so huge now. Uh, it, we talked about um, Todd Van Poppel. Do you remember him? Yeah, I do. I play with him. And, and, and Van Poppel was the first guy to sign for a million dollars out of the draft. And you and I faced him. He wasn't a million-dollar guy, right? But he looked like it, I guess, uh, a few times when he was scouting. But um, how, did, how did you, um, you know, when you're, when you're coaching these kids now, I mean, how are you – by the way, it's great that you're giving back. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that I know more in life than, than most people, and I think you feel the same way, is, you know, we went through this very unique experience, and we know uh, what what's going to hit these guys. We know what's going to what's going to make them fail. Um, is that why you're doing it, doing the coaching thing? I mean, we know it's not like a, a million dollar job or anything. Are you doing this to kind of give back? I am. You know, I'm not getting paid anything. But when I moved, I, I actually after baseball camp, I just wanted to, you know, get away. So I moved out to Colorado and lived there for 15 years. But once my son started to get pretty competitive, we just decided to come back here because just like Southern California, Texas, you know, obviously Florida, you know, that's where the competition is. So we decided to move back. And uh, with this, you know, I I originally got a JV baseball job. And to be honest with you, that that age really didn't interest me that much. But this age that I'm at now, you know, these kids are – 19, 20, 21 years old. They have an idea about the game. So, yeah, it's been much better. And, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. I'm just trying to get back to the game and give, you know, my knowledge that I learned. Right. Well, Eric, Eric, I don't know if I, I'm not sure I told you this, but um, Merchant is uh, obviously a great athlete, Mark, and, and he's passing the genes along. His daughter played collegiate golf, and I've seen his son swing. Is he, your son still switch hitting? No, he not yet. I mean, he he hits the breaking ball too well, Campy. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, <laughs> got it. Well, and that that was another question I was going to ask you because I do train a I do train a switch hitter, and um and by the way, I I think you were on, I'm not sure you were on the team, but I got run over at home plate, uh, and and my shoulder got uh, just uh, separated, my throwing shoulder. Um, they had me rehab in Jacksonville, and so I would catch bullpens, you know, with my left left hand, and then I'd switch and throw it back to the pitcher left-handed I got pretty good at throwing left-handed and uh, you know and I just out of out of necessity so now when the switch hitter comes in to work with me you know I throw left-handed to him when he bats right-handed um, and I asked him I said well why are you switch hitting 
and he couldn't give me a, a, an answer. Like, it was almost like he just felt like someone told him to switch it because it, it would be more valuable, like, you know, down the road. Uh, what do you think about the switch hitting part? I mean, would you do that again, or would you have tried to work on one side or the other uh, huh. and, and learn learn how to hit the other side guy? You know, that's a really good question, Jim. Um, you know, when I was playing every day, obviously it would all depend, I mean, if the kid can run or not. I mean, the only reason I went to the left side was, you know, because it's obviously close to the first base, but it learned to – I mean, as I went to, you know, getting into pro professional baseball, you know, I my stronger side actually was from the left side. So, um, it all, you know, it's just like what I'm going for my son. He can do it. But a lot of the, the prep work and, you know, the stuff is, you know, why are you switch hitting? It's because the breaking ball is coming into you, right? Right. Um, so, it's – but – what people don't understand, it's two different swings, and it's double the work, right? That's what I told the kid. That's exactly what I told this kid. And he's like, yeah. And I go, look, because I, like I have like a way that I do my lessons. You know, we usually hit off the tee, do, you know, do uh, an angle toss and then front toss, and then I throw. And I go, dude, like I don't even have enough time in this hour to, uh, to get to stand up and throw to you because we got to work on both sides of the, of the plate. And I remember when, when I had you as a teammate, that was also a big – uh, challenge was just you getting in enough swings on, on whatever side of the plate uh, you were going to face that day without neglecting the other side because most likely they would bring in another pitcher and you'd have to switch sides you know and a lot of times they would bring in a guy when you were on deck just to make you switch over right yeah I mean, it, that that has to be a, a more of a challenge don't you think it, it was I mean you had to be you know on your game you know and what's hard about the switch hitting thing is, like, when you became, like, a part-time player, like, later in your career, you know, I had one manager tell me, Mark, you're not a very good right-handed hitter, you know. I'm like, hey, Mr. Coach, I got two at-bats this month, you know, swinging right-handed. Um, it's right. it's difficult, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, and I'm, I mean what, there's, what, a story, there's a story about Chipper Jones during his rookie ball year the manager wanted to make him a right-handed hitter only. The Braves fired the manager the next day. <laughs> Good idea. By the way, Eric, Eric, you may not be aware of this. This is actually – I'm glad you brought that up, Merch, because I, I had this in my notes to talk to you about this. But uh, when Chipper Jones got elected into the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of press and stuff around this, this, this you know, big thing for the player. And they, they sat him down and they asked him some questions. I think it was ESPN or somebody. And um, like, 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 who helped you when you were coming up? And and he literally said, "Well, you know, I, I'm a I'm a guy from you know uh, Florida. He's from Jacksonville, I think, right?" And he goes, no, he's I'm from. He's from Pearson Taylor. It's a very very small town, about an hour north of here. Um, okay. But he went to he went to school at Jacksonville. Yeah. Okay. So what the, what what he was saying was like, here I am, like the the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the big fish in the little pond, right? And and so was Mark Merchant. Mark Merchant, don't they have like? Isn't it the main street named Merchant Boulevard down Oviedo, right? Nah, man, uh, it's gotten too big. <laughs> they should have named it. I put the place on the map, Campy. I know you did. I know you did. But that's <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, Eric. That's what Chipper said in this interview was that, you know, he had someone that he could actually talk about this um, and and get a real life experience because Merchant came from a small you know uh, town in 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 Florida, Central Florida, basically. Uh, just like Chipper, 
and um and and it was great he felt like that that the advice that you that merchant gave him uh you know really gave him a good sense of what he was going to you know deal with have to deal with and and right. he feels that that really helped set him uh, set his career on course uh so again that th- th- those are things merch that you know I, I had jeff nelson the pitcher you know he ended up getting a bunch of rings he was our closer you know i think in um in uh jacksonville that first year and and soon he was traded to the Yankees and won all these World Series and made over a hundred million dollars. And you know he said some really kind things about me and, and and helping him change his arm slot and everything. Um, did Chipper ever send you a commission check though for that help? No, no? but you no. know Chipper. <laughs> no, Chipper. Chipper. Um, it's just like you know. No, it's just like what Shane did for Brendan Rodgers. This guy was the number three pick. Now I think he just basically got called up for the Rockies. I mean, you just it's like getting the point. You know, you just you just want to give back. Chipper I know, Chipper's I'm kidding, par- of course. Chipper's, you know, his parents I still do work like up in Pearson, Florida, and everybody still is like Chipper was this well grounded young man that was awesome. His parents raised him the right way and, you know, they were just good people. So good right. people you like to see get rewarded and you know it's hats off to Chipper. You know he yeah. was. We played against him in '92 in Greenville. I mean, Chipper had a, the swag, but he was also very grounded. Yeah, he was one-one, right? He was the, the first pick, first round. I believe in 1990. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now that that's interesting. So um, one of the things that uh, we we talked about earlier, and and, I'm, and you and you alluded to it earlier. And by the way, every time I do an interview, I'm like, hey, you want to talk about my grandpa's nightline of thing? You know. Like, I mean, there's a 500-pound gorilla in the room, right? Right, yeah. But, um, but I think one of the things I wanted to make sure everybody heard before we, we even talked about this was that right down to the last day, the Mariners were still calling you, and you were still talking with them about being the first pick. Uh, and eventually they, they decided at the last second to go with Griffey. Um, did Did that put any extra pressure on you, do you think? Because, I mean, by the time you and I played together – uh, and I was at Big League Camp in '89, um, and I watched Griffey do unbelievable things. And because, you know, they told me he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna make the team, and he ended up breaking the Mariners' records for base hits in the spring training by facing like Dan Plesac, you know, and nasty lefties the whole time. They wanted to really see how he could handle these pitchers, and he did. And I did that. Did that affect you? The pressure? Do you think early on when you came over? Um, no, I mean, I'll I'll just give you a quick draft story, how it went down. I mean, it's obviously a lot different. I didn't know who Ken Griffey Jr. was, you know, back in 87, right before the draft. You know, we didn't know anything about anybody. The only person I knew that I could play was Shane Materio. That was, you know, in my backyard. But how it went down was it was about three or four days of the draft, you know, the Seattle Manor scout Luke Run came in and said, you know, you're being considered for – the top overall pick. It's between you, um, Griffey, and I don't know if you remember him, but a guy named Mike Harkey out of Cal State Fuller. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He lives in my neighborhood in Chino Hills, yeah. Yeah. So, and word came down that Ardros, who was the owner at that time, wanted to take the college pitcher. But obviously, I believe the farm director or the assistant of the GM that back then, Jim, was uh, Roger Youngwood. Is that right? Yep, that's yep. right. Um, so... As it came down nearing to the draft, um, um, they said it came down to two people, and then like on a Sunday or a Monday, 
uh, Luke Wren, the Seattle scout, called me and said, you know, they're going to go with Griffey. And, you know, then, you know, that night I heard from the Pirates, and it was the night before the draft, and they just came over with a contract. Um, it was, you know, you're going to take this invitation to big league camp, or we're going to move on to the next guy. And obviously it was a different time and age, so I, just, I signed it, and away we went. Right. Away from, you know, amateur baseball into big boy ball, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but as far yeah. as the Griffey, Griffey it did, you know, there was, you know, I heard every day, right, Jim? You know, every right. day and like with the Mariners and stuff, I just didn't let much bother me. I just tried to play my game and do my thing. Yeah, and I commend you for that. And, and you know, I, I hope people, you know, with, with I felt like every time I played a game, and I, it, dude, I, I'd be in Mexico, and someone's ragging me about my grandpa in Mexico, and I know enough Spanish to know what they're saying. And I dealt with it, like, every single day because my grandfather's, like, high-profile interview on Nightline, it just and they kept replaying it, and now it's on YouTube. And it's like I can't escape that thing. And, uh, and you know, it, it, I'm not saying it bothered me. I'm saying it motivated me. And I, I swear I hit better on the road. I wish I could they could show the stats as deep as, as you know, on baseball uh, references as they do now, you know, in the big leagues about like, you know, how you hit in, in, in the day games and how you hit on turf and all these sub stats. I'd love to know what I did on the road because I swear I felt like I hit way better because I would hear the, the, the raggers and, uh, and I hear them with all kinds of accents, Southern, Northern, Eastern, uh, you know, Spanish, <laughs> it didn't matter. Someone <laughs> drunk at the someone drunk at the game was going to rag me about being a bigot because of my grandpa's. You no, know. you definitely weren't that, Jim. I mean, you're a quality person, one of the best people I've ever met. I mean, when when I was out in California for my medical evaluations, there's not many people that are going to drive an hour and a half each way, two days when I'm there, three days to come see me. You know, so no. Well, dude, it was. Uh, I mean, it, by the way, my batting cage is like a par five from that ho- your hotel. Uh, the batting cage that I'm going to here in, in about a half an hour, and um, and I think about it all. I think about you all the time when I drive by. I'm like, oh, that's where Merch is hanging. And, and I remember, you know, um, yeah, I hadn't seen you in a while, and I mean, it's like, well, shit. When when are you going to be out here again? I mean, and when am I going to be out in, in in Orlando? So to me, it made all the sense in the world to catch up with a good buddy, and and uh, we had a couple cocktails and and a good a good uh, time. And in fact. I think I still I, th- I was rocking a, a an old man mullet at the time, and I still have a picture of that somewhere. <laughs> yep. it's, it's, it's since been trimmed down, by the way, much much uh, shorter. But thank you very much for the kind words, and I feel the same uh, sentiment to you. And that's the other reason I wanted to to have you on this show. I think we're we're doing this. Uh, we, we're having fun doing this. By the way, I, I'll give you the context. Is so I, I have a long commute drive for my uh my my work my advertising job and, and i call eric all the time to talk uh, baseball and and eric hung out with me quite a lot in the past and so i just thought hey why don't we uh record these these calls and then have some some of my friends or some of your friends come on and and and, and then we can share it with our our other friends and so that that's why it's called driving them in uh with, with jim campas eric lindenberg is i'm literally in my car driving and uh, right now i'm fortunately stopped uh, but uh, that that's really the the reason that we're doing this, and and I I can't thank you enough for coming on. But I I thought of you, and and I know you're a wealth of knowledge, and you're back at coaching. Um, what 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 advice did you give these two young guys that that you know you've been able to sort of coach what to, about this draft, and 
do you think it like kind of helped guide them to their decision here? Well, obviously, I I I went to high school with a kid, Riley Green's dad, and I I don't know him. In all honesty, I'm just dealing with these collegiate guys. But what I would tell them is, you know, it's got to be life changing money, and obviously Riley Green got it, and hopefully he got some other guarantees, like you know, guaranteed call ups, like uh, they were doing back in the day. And yeah, and invitations to Major League Spring Training, but yeah, I have no de- I had no dealings personally with the, these two kids, but I okay. you know, you know, hopefully they do well. You know, Jim, it's a it's a it's a different story when you go into pro ball. You know, and how fast does it go? I mean, you know, I, I, you you played longer than I did, but I ended up playing over. It was eight years, you know, of of a year of of time, uh, with six with six full professional seasons and. Uh, I think it was three instructional leagues and two winter balls. And most years I was catching more than 200 games in a year. And um, I got to the point, man, where, like, I was hurting so bad every day. My elbows were jacked. My my, my throwing arm was jacked. My knees were jacked. And I just took a bunch of Advil and went out and did it again. You know, I mean, how did you feel? you know, as you started to see sort of the, the, uh, uh, like, like the writing on the wall, like, like, like I know that injury that you had in Jacksonville was with that ground ball that I hit was, was, you know, a, a first step. Um, but, but that rest of that time, you know, how many more years did you play after that? You said you played about four or five more years. Um, 91. Um, I played seven or eight years surviving as a, you know, the DH first base type, but, you know, I still had, right. I remember I took five a leave and five a leave, in the morning and, you know, five at night, you know, right. Just to try and that's to get these up. young guys. Yeah. And that's what these young guys, they, they, they've never dealt with that, you know, never, never had to deal with that. You know, you, you had your maybe sore after your, your high school Tuesday game, but you got till Thursday or Friday to get, to get better. <laughs> Big whoop, you know, and same in college. It was like, we, you know, we might have a Tuesday game and then a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that's why uh, they that, played in Friday and Saturday and saying that's what I'm running across in this Florida Collegiate Summer League. They're every day, whereas, you know, they were just playing Friday and Saturday and Sunday where they were before. And it's a huge adjustment, you know, especially, you know, when you're right. playing in 100 degrees heat and it's raining every day here in, you know, Florida. What what year does your son graduate? Do you have that uh, knowledge? Like, what what does he like? 2023. 20, wow. So he's getting, okay, so he's he's getting up there in age. So what happens if, uh, you know, 2023 starts rolling around, and, and he just finishes his senior year of high school, and he and he's had Mark Merchant type, uh, you know, All Florida Player of the Year. Um, what what would your advice be for your own son? Um, I'm I'm knocking on Boris's door. Are you? <laughs> Are yep. you? Okay. Yep. So you did you did not use Boris? You you you. Just I, I didn't, and you know, ultimately that you know everything he said to me came to fruition. So. He's still one of the top agents in the game. If my kid is anywhere near that, I'm knocking on Boris's door. And hopefully all these kids that are, I mean, he's the best. Why not go with the best? So, yeah, that's what I would do. And we're a long way from that, Jim. But, you know, he's got some ability, so we'll see. Are you going to make, is he sticking righty or lefty? Righty for now, Jim. He hammers the curveball right-handed, so why change? Really? Okay. All right. All right. No, I, I, you mentioned that earlier, but I wasn't sure what side. So, uh, okay. Uh, that's that's interesting. That's I mean, interesting. I, I, yeah. actually, Jim, what you said earlier where you do you do the side toss, front toss, 
But I do that same thing, you know, working on balance and stuff with him. But then I turn the machine on, and the only thing he hits is breaking balls. Does anybody oh. teach that nowadays? Well, I throw them. I, I, I actually have a, a, a during one during my stand-up period um, where I'm throwing like the last 20 minutes. Um, I, I throw fastballs, and then I throw a series of curveballs, and I throw a series of sliders, and I can't throw a, a good change if I throw a knuckleball. That you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't knuckle as much as it's it's slow. Uh, and then um, and, and I throw a whole bucket of that, all right. And I, my bucket's about 70 balls. And then I go back and I and we call it innings. And I literally have the kid. We we go and, and I'm pitching and I'm trying to get him out. And yeah. I'm I'm and I tell him this is an at bat. And then we you know you go through situational hitting. Like say he gets a base hit or a double. And I say okay now you got to move the runner over. And it, and this is blows my mind because. When I first get a kid and I and we start doing this, I said, "What are you thinking right now, man? On second base, nobody out. Oh, I'm gonna crush it. <laughs> no, dude, that's that's not that's not the plan. That's not an approach. Okay, let's let's think about what you can. And I, I'm blown away by the lack. And these these are kids coming from uh, premier uh, programs in Orange County, but I don't know how it is with you. But but um, Eric and I have talked about this in, a lot. Is you know, our coaches, when we were younger, they were there to develop us as players, and they would keep us in games to get through bad stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you would keep a pitcher in, even though he was struggling a little bit, so he could learn how to get out of it. And if you were in a slump, well, he, the coach would leave you in so you could work your way out of the slump. That's right. Now, now um, I've seen this happen in a high school game. Guy makes an error in the first inning at third base. The coach pulls him in the first inning at a third base and puts in another guy. And I'm just like, oh my God, like like this is not this is this is detrimental to that player in his confidence. And you just you just embarrassed the hell out of him and grandma sitting in the stands and I mean i I was mortified when I saw that happen. And then I quickly learned it this is happening at college level too. Like now guys like you and I are 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 being asked to train and get these players ready to play and then they go out and put on their uniform and then the, the manager is just like a tacticianer of the game and he just moves the chess pieces around and never once is there any thought of developing that player to become guys like you and I became with all the people that helped push us to where we were at um what what are your feelings on that or do you see that in, in high school over there I know Shane probably is, is an exception to the rule but do you see that sort of happening around the leagues yeah, they'll pull you mid-inning here, man. Um, and, it, and it's terrible. You know, Jim, you were the catcher and stuff, but I've seen, you know, in this travel ball and stuff, like if the kid has a pass ball, they'll just pull him out right then and there. I mean, you know that stuff didn't work on pro ball and it shouldn't even these higher levels. You know, it's just a detriment, just like you said. I mean, you got grandma on the stands, and when you get pulled during the inning, you know, that's they they didn't do that stuff in Pro Bowl, right, Campy? Um and no. it's just uh yeah, that's a good point. Really, really good point. But yeah, they're doing it here in the amateur level and I don't I don't know. You know, I can't change that, you know. They just let them play and, you know, just like you were saying, you know, they they're not progressing if they're not seeing it. But, you know, it's more the show-up thing to me because when you do pull somebody mid-inning or something like that, it just is a huge detriment to the kid's ego. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I what I really and I know we're getting a little bit off topic of the draft, but I think this is super important for for people to understand. And and what I really try to do, you know, Eric and I try to do with this show is is get inside the game much deeper than the average fan can see on ESPN or or you know some other you know TV networks because they don't have the time to go through the detail like we do here. But like like you know what I've noticed is is I'll, I'll get a kid that'll come in. And it just, this just happened to me. A kid's an Oregon uh, commit. And he just came in to see me like maybe two weeks ago. And I, I think I, or three weeks ago, I've had three lessons with him. And then, and then the coach from Oregon um, decided that recruited him is not coming back. And now the kid's freaking out and he's great. When I'm talking about like, he is, he's a guy that you and I would see on our team in pro ball. Like he's like, he's got that kind of swing, that body, uh, all of the, the, the right stuff for a pro player, right? And I asked him, I go, hey, man, like, so why are you seeing me? Like, why are, why do you need a batting coach? Like, what's going on, you know? And the kid looked at me, and he's just like, I, 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 just, I just don't feel right in the box. Like, I just don't – I don't know what's going on. I'm just not as consistent as I, I've been in years past. And then I asked him the questions. Are you pressing? Are you trying too hard? Are you nervous about – and he basically didn't know the answer. And so I started to just work with him a little bit, and I saw just one or two minor, you know, uh, like like mechanical like issues, like very minor. Work through them, and all of a sudden he looked at me and he's smiling, and I'm like, "What are you you're getting it now, right?" He's like, "Oh, I'm totally getting it." And what I saw, dude, was I dropped a little drop of confidence on his forehead, just a little drop, and that kid realized he how good he really is, and now he's swimming in confidence. He's, he's literally in the swimming pool of, of confidence. And to me, what coaches are doing to their to these players during games, embarrassing them on top of a game that embarrasses you to begin with, yeah. it is is the worst thing that you know. And again, a lot of these guys are heralded as great coaches and what have you. Um, you know, humility is a thing that that we all deal with in baseball, but it should come from the game and not from the people who are supposed to sort of be our mentors. And and that's where I feel like I'm filling a void now that used to be filled by my head coach. My USC head coach, Gillespie, you know, was one of those guys that, you know, he, he, he did humiliate me, but I, I, I deserved it because I was a stupid idiot at the time. And, and I needed <laughs> someone to kind of get me straight. And once he got me straight, he stopped humiliating me because he realized, okay, I got, I got him out of that cocky ass, you know, um, son of a major leaguer mentality. And now I've, I've turned him into a grinder. And, and from that point forward, he was, he was, he wasn't, um, pushing against me he was pushing with me and and it made all the difference for me do you have anyone in your career that you could go back and say I mean maybe and I could say my dad too but aside from your dad was there someone that really sort of helped you get through not just mechanical stuff but but the emotional side of the game uh, as you were growing up you know um it's hats off to my uh high school coach you know I was 14 I made the varsity but I can still remember a quote that he said in a newspaper that he thought I was just going to be an average high school player and I went to Sanford Memorial Stadium where this guy named Wes Rinker you know was and he was an ex-pro back in the 50s and he actually was the one that got me switch hitting and stuff um and it went really really well you know when I was 15 I was playing against uh you know college kids at Seminole Community College in the fall you know, I was hitting home runs off 
there was a major league pitcher that was called, or it was Mike Walker that went to Seminole. And was, I remember him. Walk. Yeah. yeah, he was on our team at Sam Burns. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I hit a home run off him when I was 15 on a, you know, major league field. So it just went from there. But, you know, there's special people that have helped me, and, and including my high school coach, Howard, maybe. But, yeah, and my father. But, you know, those were the three that helped me get to the next level. And, you know, we went from there. You know, when I got drafted, Campy saw me in 1989. Here we go. Yep. Well, Eric, I, I, I want to tell Eric a funny story. It's, I wrote this in my book, and, and, and it wasn't half a joke, but um, Eric, uh, um, Merch and I had the pleasure of playing um, our, that year in 1989. Our coach was a complete dick, and uh, his, 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 dad, his dad was a dick, and his mom was a dick, and his kids were both dicks, and his wife was a dick. And that's because his name his name was Ralph Dick. That was actually his name. Our coach's name was Ralph Dick. And if you remember, Merch, um, we had jerseys with our names on the back, yes. right? Yep. yep. And Ra- and Ralph never ever wore the Dick shirt. <laughs> no, don't you remember the Mariners gave him uh, Dick with the number sixty nine? That was classic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And. Uh, and so, so Ralph would always wear this like pullover shirt. Even with the 110, he'd wear this this like pullover shirt. And then, but in his, and he would keep the Dick jersey in his locker, right? And so, and so after every game, we would, as a team, we would look around and we'd be like, "Oh, well, Merchant was the player of the game." And so, Merch would don the Dick uniform for for that for that short amount of time that evening and and, be, and, and parade around as a Dick. So um, that was one of the one of the funniest. And by the way, do you remember Merch, the the third base uh, crowd, just jumping yeah. his ass every time he did, and, and it was yeah. like, "Hey, hey, Dick, you suck!" <laughs> like that, that chant was just, you know, classic. So uh, uh, one of the things, Merch, and we, we're just we're closing up here. I got to run and do the batting lesson here in a few minutes. But I, first of all, I really appreciate you coming on, um, Eric. Did you have any last uh, thoughts uh, with Merch? Uh, no, I just want to thank you, Mark, for coming on, joining us, and sharing your stories. That was great yeah, talking with you, so thanks it's, again. You know what? It's been 30 years, but it's awesome to talk to Jim. I mean, we've been great friends, and thanks for bringing back memories. By the way, you call me Jim more today than you have in the last 30 years. I've always been campy. So uh, I know, Jim, but i, I got to be a little politically correct. Aren't you recording this? <laughs> I am recording this, but I, I don't think I've called you Mark more than 10 times in my life either. No, nobody's ever called me Mark. <laughs> right. It's funny because I, I, I actually can't remember who it was, but I had a friend at USC introduce me to his wife, and he's like, hey, campy. Dude, I can't remember your first name, man. I, I, what is, I and he's trying to introduce me to his wife. You know, it's Jim. Hi. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But uh, so merch, we got, um, we got the, uh, uh, the 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 draft just came. The draft just came and went. Uh, any last thoughts? I mean, is there anything you would have changed? Do you think? Would you would you have walked from number two and gone to college? Uh, like like what 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 could you have done differently? Do you think at that point in time in your life? Oh, jeez. I mean, I just I, – I wanted to play professional baseball ever since I was four. They gave me the thing. I signed, you know, I, I and I listened just like I said earlier about Boris is basically things of what could happen to you, but I still signed. I mean, it's easy to go back in time. You know, everybody says, you know, hey, Mark, you know, if uh, you've been drafted now, you'd have got, you know, such and such number and be set for life. But I don't look at it like that way. 
Like if I'd have been born, you know, 20 years earlier, you know, I could have been sitting in a jungle in South Vietnam too. You know, right. so I, I, I just, I did what I thought was right at the time. My family did the right things, or we thought, and it just didn't work out, you know. Yeah. No. And again, I, I have the, I feel the same way, and and in a lot of ways, I felt in, in some ways, you know, my book got to number one, and it was like, okay, so I, that's kind of like I got, I got my cup of coffee, my call up. I was number one for three days, and it almost felt like, all right, well, I've got it to the big league, sorta, you know, kinda. You know, Brett Boone wrote a book, and he didn't, it didn't get to the number one slot, but he played 15 <laughs> years in the big leagues. Anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, you know, it's one, one of the things I do take away from our, this this is, you know, I, I, I have very few regrets, um, and, and I don't think I, I don't think life is meant to be looked at backward through the rearview mirror. I think it's being, it's meant to learn from, and that's why I really admire you, and, and it's one of the reasons that I coach kids now is just, we have we have invaluable knowledge for what these kids' dreams are, and also um, their nightmares that can follow if their dream falls apart like ours did. But at the end of the day, you know, it was it, God. Everything that you know what happens is, is for a reason, um, and I think you know there's still a lot of great stuff ahead for you, Merch. And uh, again, congrats for really, you know, you've had a, you had a great career, and and I look back at the numbers, and you are one in a million guy. You know, a million, five million kids a year play Little League. When we were kids, it was much more than that. And you were one in a million, man, and, and no one can take that away from you. And, and again, I think you've, you've learned that you're a very blessed person. And, yeah, you went through some crap, and so did I. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't think I would, would have changed a whole lot. You know, certainly the injuries, but, you know, that, that's just something that you no control over. But, uh, you know, again, I think that that's, that's why, you know, you've been successful, you know, in, in another field is you use your work ethic to learn a new craft and, and your personality uh, to charm the people in that new job. And, and, and by the way, uh, tell Eric who you're, um, who wrote your first uh, letter of recommendation for your first job in the real estate world. Um, well, actually, like I said earlier, I was in Colorado and uh, it was really tough to get in the real estate industry back in the day. So I took, uh, after, you know, 11 years in the Meyer Leagues, I took a home study course for real estate appraisal. And, you know, I passed it and then passed the state test. And it was like two months later. And basically it was a time when we drove from where I was playing from the independent leagues to Colorado to some apartment with a year-old baby. And um, I, it was tough getting a job. You know, I sent my resume. I looked, I, uh, and what I passed and stuff to the phone book to everybody that was a real estate appraiser. Well, yeah. one of them was a, a Colorado season ticket holder that, you know, sat right next to the dugout. And Jim Leland, who was the manager with the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time, um, was the manager there. And the lady sent me a request back, said, I like your resume, but the only way you're, you're going to get a job is if Jim gives you a letter or a thing of recommendation so you know obviously i don't know jim leland must have thought enough of me to tell her you know bing bada boom and i was on my way into the real estate industry wow, wow. awesome awesome isn't that awesome eric yes it is eric er, eric's in the real estate world too so i thought you'd get a kick out of that yeah yeah i mean it, it's a tough gig eric you know just like you know i mean real estate's not oh, yeah. a tough gig to get to but yeah that's how i got in Ironically That's enough, true. what a great story! Yeah, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Yep. 
Well, I, that that seems to me like a great bow to to tie up this uh, this awesome show with the uh, with the legendary Merchant of Menace. That's how they introduced him at the San Bernardino, the Merchant of Menace, Mark Merchant. Switch hey Jim, how many on. people had that walk up song "Welcome to the Jungle"? No, no, no. It was it was um, it was uh, Paradise City. Remember Paradise City? No, it was so, Welcome uh, to the Jungle. No, Paradise City, because then it got into the like it was like slow in the beginning, and then it, it went into the to the jam song part. So, yeah, well, uh, you're the guitar guy, so yeah, maybe I don't it, remember, but it was fun. Yeah. Yep, that was a blast. And by the way, we were we were uh, what do you call it? We were um, like trendsetters because now everybody's got a walk up song. But back in those days, we were very rare. What was your walk up song? Do you remember? Me? Yeah. No, no. I thought you were Joe Walsh with that one song. Oh, That's I was Joe Walsh. Yeah, I was. Well, I had Paradise City, and then I got too amped up from that song because I, I it, you know, it was it got a little too fast, and I'd swing at the first pitch. So I asked him to. <laughs> I asked him to change it to to, to um, the Joe Walsh song. Life's been good. Oh, you had you had Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, I did. All right, all right. Now, I mean, can't we? Don't now you remember straight. the girls were taking off their bras on the third baseline? Well, of course, <laughs> throwing them at you. I mean, come on, they're, they're only human, though. Come on, Merch. You know, yep. <laughs> good times, man. Those are great times. Those are great times. And uh, Eric, I'll tell you about the pepper mill story later. That was a fun one too. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> anyway, Merch, thanks so much, Eric. As always, man, it's a pleasure uh, doing this show with you. Uh, last week you spoke a lot more. We had uh, uh, Isla Borders on. Take a listen to that show. She was the first um, female to play in a men's professional league. She pitched in the Northwest League, no, the Northern League, uh, left-handed pitcher. Um, and uh, she did quite well. She well, she did all right. She did said played four years in professional baseball, female. That's saying something. But uh, anyway, Merch, thanks again for your time. Uh, and as always, I'd love to have you on here in the future. Uh, Eric, thanks again for uh, all of uh, you do and uh, your research. And I know we didn't get into a lot of the the draft research, so maybe we can do that uh, next week when we're uh, lucky to have Coach Gillespie, former UCI, former USC um, uh, Hall of Fame college coach, talking about. Uh, recruiting uh, today versus recruiting when he started back in the uh, 70s and 80s as a as a junior right. college coach. So that'll be interesting. So you got your homework uh, set for uh, for next week. Yeah. Uh, but for now, everybody, thanks so much for listening to Driving Them In with Jim Campanis and Eric Lennenberg. Uh, today with our special guest, the Merchant of Menace, Mark Merchant, uh, out of Oviedo, Florida. Um, and uh, again, we're continued success uh, with your real estate career and also coaching. Uh, these elite players in Florida. Thanks, Campy. Have a good one, bro. Campy, there you go. All right, Merch. I'll talk to you soon, Mark. All right, bye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Eric, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye-bye. All right.